Hello, Miss Bell. Hey. So, Monday, time for the podcast. Yeah, so we're behind? I don't know. No, we're I don't not. know if we're behind. We're good. It's Monday. <laughs> Happy Monday. Um, on today's episode, wow, my voice is like giving up. <laughs> today's episode, we're together, but we were apart for the past like half week. Um, Where were you? I was at a convention in Dallas for my sorority, and I came back saying I have like three episodes worth of material to talk about because there were just so many things I learned that I wanted to share with Sebi, and the whole way I see this podcast is it's sort of like conversations we would have anyway, but that we think are interesting and hopefully we can engage with like more people through. So this was a thing where I was taking notes for myself and for others, but I was like, texting Sebi after all my sessions like oh my goodness yeah she was you have to hear what this person just said exactly she was super pumped so now you will hear some of what the people said and we're gonna share it cool so which speech do you want or what topic do you want to talk about yeah so I realized if it were just an episode of me reading through all the notes I took at this convention it would just be me talking for over an hour and that would be bad so some that would not be bad that'd be fun it would just be me reading notes, which would be interesting, but pretty scattered. So instead, my favorite... I can't even say my favorite. I enjoyed too much. One of my favorite sessions at this convention was business advice. And it was focused on, okay, you're in college and you're about to get a job. And here's advice from someone who has been through that and who hires people. So like, so if like, you're coming into an interview... So like, inter- just an interview advice or... You called it business advice, which makes it sound bigger than that. Yeah, I would say a lot of these are business, but they're sort of motivated to the career search, which I think is applicable to both of us. And I guess some of these don't carry into your third week on the job. What are you going to do? Have we talked about... I think we've talked about career search before, haven't we? But this adds a lot. Maybe. I don't know. I I think this is a little different. Cool. I think some of these are good. Um, So far away? And you can feel free to disagree. So I want to hear what advice you've gotten and what advice you do disagree with. So first she made us write down my self-worth is not tied to whether or not I get this job. Which I think is interesting because there's the whole discussion we had before about like, does it motivate you to know it's important or does that make you worse at going for something? Say that again? Like we've talked before about motivation. Like if something is so important... Do you choke or does it mean you're trying harder? And so to me, but your self-worth, obviously, I think just shouldn't be in one place. But I'm someone who thinks self-worth can come partly from a job. I think the goal should be find a job and that's what you should put the worth into. That's what you should put the motivation into. But I don't think you should take any one job and say, hey, like if I don't get this job, like I'm done. Mm-hmm. Which is what I think she's saying. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Because like, uh, otherwise you'll be was, disappointed. Cause... There's always another job. Yeah. Was the like sub-headline of that. Um, the other thing was to... One of the other like just random tips was that preparation is the key to confidence. Which I thought was interesting because people yeah, talk Maddie. a lot about like be confident. And if you ask how... What if the answer was just like, are you prepared? And then confident. And then my favorite thing was, she said on a resume to use the language of your industry. Ooh, I like that. Like the that. industry you're going to. So I'm tempted to go through my whole resume and honestly change it because a lot of it is different language. Like different jobs. Some jobs are like all sales language. So what I hear you saying is you put the language on the resume for this specific job that you're writing about, as opposed to making the whole resume the language of whatever you're applying to. Or for the industry. So, like, if I'm applying to legal jobs, maybe they're looking more at, like, reading, writing, and research. And so those should be highlighted. Like, the same job can be described different ways. Yeah, I feel like from an engineering standpoint, it's... That's also important, but there's less crossover. It's more of its own island. And therefore, like in terms of resumes, it's hard to change your resume to, from one industry to another and using a whole new language for that industry. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, I feel like it's more limited than, say, other types of jobs. 
But I do think like within an interview, knowing the language of the industry and of the profession that you're going into really well is super important. Yeah, and I think part of that is just like, for example, I applied at a ton of restaurants this summer and they would say, tell me about your restaurant experience. And the answer is I didn't have any. But the answer I gave was... I noticed they keep saying front or back of the house is like a restaurant term mm-hmm. that I'd never heard before. So I said, you know, at my last job, I was the front of the house person, which my boss probably wouldn't have used to describe me, but was true. It was uh, just like, that, that's really smart. The restaurant language around it, if yeah. that makes sense. That makes me think of a front end and back end developer because that's the same language and for like coders. See, I don't, what, what does that mean? Like, what is the so, difference? So what do you think? A front end is like hardware versus software. So the front end is more like the app you're interacting with, the front end with the user, and the back end is more like the all, code. all the screens that you don't see as a user, hmm. if that makes sense, or all the functionality that you don't see as a user, but that's still important to making the app or the system or the software work. I thought about that a lot when I was using coding softwares. I was like, like the is, back there, end? is there coding? Like, how much coding is behind well, for well, me to it's code? It's like, a good example is, like, you need to make the GUI or that's like the or the user interface for the user, right? That'd be a front end. But, like, Facebook has their own interfaces for them to see what the traffic looks like, right? Like, the traffic of users? That would be more back end. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I don't know. That made me think of that. Yeah. But, yeah, no, you're right. I agree. Use the language of the... Of the industry or the profession. And part of that, so this was tailored to sorority women. And part of the thing was, you know, you have titles. And some people might not know what that title does. So I felt a lot of this, I was like, I wish I could go back in time. Because there are things on my resume that I'm sure people have looked at and they don't know what it means. Like the title, and, they don't know what it does? But it's my title, so I, would, I wouldn't have thought to say... Hmm, what should this title be? Because I know what it is. So she was open to changing titles. She suggested how to change certain titles that you're given so that they relate to your industry and to... That don't lie about what they are, but that... So what's an example? Rephrase that. This sounds like a classic. So an example is a lot of college clubs call call the person who deals with the money the treasurer. Correct. The sorority that I'm in has changed that to vice president of finance. Okay. She suggested writing CFO. Because technically, what's the difference between a treasurer and a CFO? The the treasurer in this organization is the head financial officer. So if you're going into the business world and they want to know what experience you have, if you say, you know, I was the CFO of this organization of 170 women... That might seem better than I was your treasurer. I picture like a little treasure box and like you keep like dollar bills in it. Yeah, treasure. treasure is definitely more. And, like it's not lying. But at the same time, like I never thought about like what else it's could I little, call? It's a little bit more exaggerated. Like what else could I call this? But it's true that like maybe people don't get what vice president of finance. Who's the president of finance? There is none. But maybe that's confusing. Yeah. I don't know. That's. An I find example. in business there's lots of vice president type stuff, but. You're right, CFO is a mm-hmm. lot more clear. I feel like CFO sounds more powerful. So sort of like rebranding to your industry. Yeah, no, that that's good. I like so that. So that's one thing I've changed on my resume is I've gone through and um, thought about... And something I noticed actually that's kind of interesting, the job I had in high school, um, a woman took it after I left, and she changed the position name recently. And I, maybe the position changed a little bit, but I don't... I think she changed the name. And so it was sort of interesting to me because when I started it, they sort of asked, what do you think your position name should be? And I brainstormed it. And now, and I was sort of like, oh, which one do I like better? Like there is power in the title, but also like... Can, can we do a quick tangent onto like what yeah. you think of titles in general? Is that like, the question? Yeah. What kind of titles? So, so, so for example, or like, let me tell you my thoughts and then you can tell me your thoughts so you understand what I mean. I was always... So I had several titles being a leader in lots of different organizations on campus. And I remember when I first got a lot of them, I was like, so like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'm going to put them all in my email. It's like so fancy. And, um, and this was like when I was a sophomore. Right. And like the title was kind of, it was a, it was an indicator of power. Let's be real. Right. Um, 
And, but like, as I went more through school, I realized titles didn't matter as much. And they were useful if you like were asking for something and somebody didn't think you had credibility, right? You could use your title. Mm -hmm. But there were like, like, for example, in an email, if you emailed someone and said, hey, like, and in your signature, it says vice president of student government, right? But like, Mm -hmm. gives you a little bit more credibility. But and whenever you introduced yourself and like you wanted to show you have credibility to solve a problem, you could use your title. But as I got more towards the end of my tenure, I started using the title less and less because I I was realized it was like a crutch, tried right? Like people saw it as, oh, he just is like pompous, right? And like uh, yeah. there there's like blah blah. It's it's super. Um, yeah, pop, that's a good way to put it. It's pompous. It's uh, too much. And so instead, I'd say like, like, for example, for student government, I'd say, hey, like, I'm a student leader, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I just like be super vague. And if somebody wanted to go into more detail, they could, right? Um, but the point was, I realized the titles don't matter as much. And I've realized by looking at others and by those around me, the ones who flaunt their titles are the ones that really appreciate their titles, but don't do a lot outside, right? They're doing it for the title, for the position, for the power, and not necessarily for like actually getting stuff done or actually promoting um, uh, their organization or actually um, doing things that are mm-hmm. going to promote other people within the organization, right? Or And I don't mean promote as in raise up. I mean like uh, do things that'll benefit the organization yeah. like more selflessly. Let, let's put it that way. And like one... There, I, there was someone I admired very greatly who was a mentor to me, and he said, like, if they just care about the title, like, you don't want them, right? And that really changed my mind a lot on titles and how, like, they're useful, but it's more of a tool and it's not something you should, um, like, always have be carrying in front of you, if that makes and sense. I, and I think, like, we started this talking about, like, resume titles, and I think deep down, if any student looks at their resume, they could say what deserves to be there and what probably yeah, no, that's true. is on there, but like is more exaggerated. I recently took something off my resume that I didn't feel comfortable having. And then I recently resigned from a position that I hadn't done much work for. And I realized that I, I wasn't committed to it. And a lot of people in the organization weren't, but I kind of said, you know, I would rather not have this even be on my resume and have it be something that because I liked the title, I realized I didn't like the position. And so I was just cut it out. And part of that is like you cut a line out of your resume. It's not on there anymore, but it matters. And something else that was interesting at this um, event, the same woman um, talked about how she'll ask someone, you know, what chapter are you? What do you do in the sorority? And they might say, oh, I'm just a member. She says she hears that a lot. And, she kind of said, what do you mean just a member? Like, there are leadership opportunities and leadership roles that do things, but if you think about the organizations you're a member of, I'm a member of one organization that I have no role in other than I joined as part of it. And I never know where to put it on my resume. It's a debate club. Right. And I debate, but that's it. I... So I didn't know where to put it on my resume, and I ended up adding a debate category, and then... But the the reality is, I it's not like I didn't work four hours a week for that club. I did. And I did compete in my team. I was part of a team. So part of what she said is, like, every member counts is, like, any job cares that you're part of it. You know how to be part of a team. So if you are, I was a member of a sorority and was part of a community and a team. So she, so. Even like, though your title okay, would be so member a, or, like, a, a, untitled. So she asked a, a member of the organization, hey. You're, like, what are you? And they say, oh, I'm just a member. What should they say? I mean, she said, what do you do in this sorority? And the reality is members do a lot of things, even if they don't have but, a title. So they should they still say I'm a member? Should they say I'm a part of the team? What, like, what? Maybe, and I don't know. For I still don't know on a resume what you say is, right now my thing says part of a nationally qualified debate team. I t- was not one of the people who qualified, but... Right. It is a team sport, the way we do it. So I feel like I can say, you know, I worked with a team that researched into legal cases and presented as public speaking. And so maybe the equivalent, it really depends on the story, but you could say, you know, I worked in professional development, which is part of it, or 
I was part of the recruitment team for Rush. Everyone works 12-hour days for that, not just the person who organizes it. It's still those soft skills. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this speech was about how you can learn hard skills, but... I don't want to say you can't learn soft skills, but she gave a list of the things she sure, looks for. Let me take us out of the tangent yeah. first. Are which we still is, in titles? Go back. So like, I'm losing. No, you're good. Um, and then that way we're on solid footing. For a resume, I do think you should put titles on. I think you're absolutely right. Resume, it's few words to explain and to show you're qualified for something. Mm-hmm. And titles are the best way to show what you've done in very few words. So it's saying CFO says so much more mm-hmm. than... Um, like expl- explaining what you did as CFO. You still should explain what you did that was impactful as CFO, but just saying CFO gives them a lot of context in to that you handled a lot of the money and how that all worked within an organization. Um, so I do think it's like super important for resumes. I just wanted to go on that tangent in terms of what I thought about titles in general. Um, but as credibility or as showing what you're capable of, which is what a resume is, I think they're super important. Uh-huh. So what else did she talk about? So here's the seven, eight, nine things she looks for. And this is something... Like she wants to find all seven or eight or... She asks questions that are leading questions to lead to see if they have these, these qualities. Okay. And the theory is these are something that you can teach someone how to use your software, how to answer the phones the way you want them to, but maybe... You can't teach you them can't these teach eight things? This. So... Okay. Well, I think you will not be surprised can, at any of these. Okay, wait. Can I try to five. guess? There are only five. Guess the five. Wait, I bet you will. There are only five? Yeah. I think our dad would write down the five in like five guesses. Okay. Um, I bet one has to do with like ethics or morality in some way. Uh, I w- No? You gotta be. I, okay. I, I need yeah, to be more I specific. I don't know. Um, kind of? Not really. Curiosity? Oh, are they more specific or are they more like qualities? Like willing to like call anyone? Is that like one? Well, I'm no, not doing very well. but that's pretty good. That's just something I think our generation is very scared of. Yeah. And I feel like you should be only scared to call certain people. Some people it's fine to call. Like my... Like I'm not scared to call you, but I am scared to call other people sometimes. I do it anyway because part so of a job is you need to be able to call unafraid suppliers. Unafraid of cold calling. It's well, that's probably bad. That, no, it is I've good. done it a lot. It's because you've had to do it a lot. You hi. used to be afraid. My name is Annabelle do you and I work with blank. Do you remember being afraid? Yeah. Okay. I was in a windowless office and all I had to do was call numbers I didn't know and I was very scared of them. And after how many do you think you it became like not scared anymore? I think part of it was I had a script of what to say, so, like, I realized, but then I realized that they're people, and you can think of what to say. Okay, um, like, taking initiative? Mm -mm, That'd be a good one. Okay, some of these are, like, so you. (laughs) Really? They're probably so me, I don't even think (laughs) of them. You're like, that's, everyone does that, and it's not true. Um, oh, like, take accountability? (laughs) This is bad. This is bad. Okay. I want to get at least one before you, like, sell them <laughs> all. five. Is, like, one, like, blanket leadership in some way? No. no. Um, some of these, these are, she hires people out of college to work at the sorority headquarters. Hmm. Positivity? <laughs> yes, number yes! three. I'm like, that's so that's me. You. But, like. Having a positive attitude is number three. Because okay. how do you teach someone to have a positive attitude when you're trying to teach them accounting or whatnot? It's probably... Okay, okay. okay. Positive attitude. So I want to write these down. So Positive attitude. Should I try to continue guess or am I like dead? <laughs> you, I feel like you should be able to. Okay. Um, hmm. Confidence? No. That's, I mean... Like, you're right. That's hard. That can be taught. Um, I feel like positive attitude can be too. It's a lot harder though. Yeah. I mean, um, like, I won't say that... Because I do think, it's not that you're innately born with a positive attitude. Like, you do learn that. Yeah. So I don't think it's, but it's more like, your boss is probably not going to spend all her time. We can have a vulnerability episode, and I can talk about how I used to not be positive and what caused my positivity. Mm, Diving Um, deep. Yeah. Why why is Annabelle a pessimist? No. I don't know that I am anymore. Are you a pessimist? I read an article that said you are higher chances of dying as a pessimist or something drastic like that. And I was like, well, now I'm terrified. I listened to a podcast that was really interesting. It's like there are optimistic optimists, pessimistic optimists, optimistic pessimists, and pessimistic pessimists. Can we make an alignment chart for that? Uh, Yeah. 
What's your alignment? Well, I'm probably an optimistic optimist. No, I mean, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You mean, like, a, a grid, right? Like, I mean, like, the nerdy games where they have alignments. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. I'm too nerdy. No, now you have to explain it. Chaotic good, chaotic neutral, neutral good, lawful evil, those types. Oh, oh the one with the not three by three? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking That's about. That's what I meant by alignment. Oh. But I would rather it be opti- pessimistic optimist. I have seen that. Or I think I'm a optimistic realist but i'm also oh i'm an optimistic realist too you have some pessimism in there yeah yeah at least you used to Uh, yeah anyway this is probably okay positive attitude for working i will always try to have a positive attitude because positive attitude what else can i give you hints yes give me hints i just gotta although i'm okay um Capitalism, no, this bad. Oh, what, I, what's something making that, money? Like no, oh my God. capitalism. Okay. No. Oh, theoretical. Theoretical capitalism. Theoretical cap. Huh. Okay, this uh, is the first thing I think of when I think of capitalism. But uh, oh, like, people think of money, so that's a little sad. Well, it's true. Um, what makes you supply money demand capitalism? Goods. Oh, selling. Se- no. Oh, come yeah, on. Selling. What? Sell. Well, you sell. No. <laughs> okay, what is it? Work ethic. Work, oh, wow. That's not the first hard. thing I've done. I think of that capitalism. That's the first thing I thought of for a hint for working Oh, okay. Hard. I get it. You, okay. Capitalism is the theory that if you work hard, the harder you work, the more, the better you will do. I think of capitalism as the law of supply and demand. But... I'm sorry. That is the, that's a little more neoclassical. Okay, work ethic's anyway. good. Okay, obviously. And yeah, I guess Then she added how they define working hard, which I thought was interesting because so that's some different people, than work ethic? Well, your work ethic is hopefully that you define working hard in a good way. Have you? I mean, there are some people who will say, oh my goodness, I no, work no, so hard. but these are two different ones? No, this is the same thing. Okay, sorry, sorry. So Keep you going. have to have that a strong sense. work ethic, and by that, she tries to figure out how you define working hard. So if you say, the example she gave was someone who tells me they stay until 5.05 at night to show their work ethic. Like, I stay five minutes late. That's not really working hard. What I tell people in interviews, and this isn't like a result of this, I just, I'm like, like, oh, I like to work hard because like, it's fun. Like, it's more fun to work hard. It's more fun to actually get stuff done. Yeah. Like, it, it pays it, off. Like, okay. like a hard problem is worth solving and therefore it's fun. I'm trying to other ones. There's one that dad talked about a lot growing up and there's a famous book about it. Is the book like philosophy? No, it's like. Uh, What's the book? Or would like self- give it away? I think it's just called this word. I'm not sure. Huh. <laughs> you can get up. I'm sorry. Okay, what is it? Grit. Oh, I've read that book. Yeah, what's it called? Grit. Yeah, see, well, I couldn't tell you. I haven't even read it. Angela but... Duckworth. You should read that. She's so, really cool. Grit. It's, it's a pretty new book, though. Is it's it? Not, it's not... I guess dad does talk about it. I don't know. That. I feel like he was always like, you Okay, how does grit. she define grit or how does okay, she look for facing grit? Facing and overcoming challenges. Okay, so, so didn't I say something like that? I feel I like know. I did. Kind of. So part of it, and I mean, I remember this from like college interviews and college essays, is you have to say, this was hard and I did this and then the outcome was good. But if you don't say this was hard or what was the, ad- the challenge... Yeah. It sort of doesn't look as good when you say what the result was. So, face grit, face never come challenges. Okay, ready for the next two? Yeah. Conscientious. So she asked, can I trust them to get it done and in time? Like, can they get it done in time? How's that conscientious? So that's... Like, they look at themselves or... I feel like that's more detail-oriented. Like, if I told you five tasks, can I trust that you're going to follow through with those? That's partly working hard, not really positive attitude. It's not about your grit. It's about being conscientious about, okay, what did she ask me to do? When is the time frame? How do you find so like if you you're really, that out? That's hard. I'm honestly, I feel like you would know once someone was your employee for a little bit, but it is, yeah, that is a tricky one. And then how do you show that in an interview is also, I have no idea. I guess you could give examples of when you've what? gotten things done that people trusted you to do before. Yeah, or like, oh, like uh, you're under time, kind of. or you're under a time constraint and you got something done. Like more details. Okay, and then the last one is aptitude. So, are they smart enough to learn and grow in the job, and do they have common sense, and are they creative? So, not how technically savvy are you already, but 
if there's a challenge or if you do have to become technically savvy in something, are you apt to grow and learn? Yeah. So anyway. Have you heard of a star story So that's before? why part of my resume says self-taught and then the instruments I taught myself how to learn. Have you heard of a star story before? No. What is that? Oh, yeah, I have. Wait. I don't remember what the things stand for. Isn't it like conflict resolution type? So S is resolution is R. Situation. Situation. Did you write down? She gave a version of that one. Situation, task, or... Oh, yeah. What'd she do? She said challenge, task, goal, or crisis. So, like, what's happening that's bad? Your role and the actions you took. Okay. And then what was the outcome and how did it meet the goal? Clarifying. I think A is action and star. So, you want to keep it short, but your story should have this flow. So, the point is there are four parts. There's the context, right, which is, like, you set up the story of, like where you are and what you're doing. Then you set up the challenge. Then you say how you overcame the challenge or better yet, like the strategy, the action you did to um, reach um, some sort of resolution and then the resolution. And normally you want to pick stories where the resolution is good. So you accomplished a task or you accomplished a hard challenge and then your action shows that you like were able to think on your feet and come up with an action. And this can be something that happened over the course of a day at the work environment or over like a year, right? You can have different stories for different situations. And normally, and this is the way dad told likes to do it he has 11 star stories so when he was interviewing with places and they asked him a question he could pull from these Those. 11 stories and pick the one that answers the question best but also pick the one that works best with the specific people he's interviewing with so they're able to relate to it and where those things overlap, he can choose that star story and knock the question out of the park because he's practiced all 11 star stories several mm-hmm. times. So part of this, she's like, practice all these in the mirror, smiling. Yeah. So you, but also, yeah, she said you need like uh, overarching key points and then sort of stories that support, or like you have a couple message points and then stories that support those, those messages. messages. So are those message points different for different companies or, or for different just, interviews? Maybe I don't know. I wasn't really sure what mine would be. I can think. Yeah, for some reason I went to like the personal level of like friendship. Like, what are my kind of key things when someone's trying to get to know me that they should know? Right. Which are definitely not the same. Maybe the same as an interview. Some of them. I know. I thought about my college essay was about moving and how it shaped me into a strong and independent woman who like learns no matter what like situation changes and that's that could be one or kind of like but i don't know i don't think i've used that in any interviews yeah i also it's really helpful the one thing i do for interviews is and if i've talked about this before i'm sorry um i have a list of questions that are like really common questions like the common like what tell us a pro like a situation where you encountered a problem and what you do to and you ask that to them no, or like they asked that the to answers. me and I like go through this list of like common interview questions and I practice what I would answer, um, like off, like without looking at, without writing it down, without looking mm-hmm. at a piece of paper, like, and it has to do with like engineering in some way. And then I practice all those. So when I do get asked that question, I'm prepared for What's it. What's the hardest question you've gotten in an interview? That's not a good question. Because, Why? Because there's definitely a hard one I've gotten, but I can't think of one like off the top of my head. Um, or like the best one. I feel like in an interview, you're not normally like, wow, what a cool question. But at oh, the same time... Oh, one question like, I got it was really good that I had to really think of my feet for was this job is you're working on stuff that's like never been worked on before. Like what is something like what would you do to like solve a problem that like no solutions exist yet? Yeah. Like so like the good, answer is you can't look up online what the answer is because it doesn't exist yet, right? Like these, it's such a brand new situation. It's such on the edge of what humans know and don't know. Like what would you do to figure it out? So I had to think on my feet for that one. I feel like if I were you, you could sell that you're curious and a lot of curiosity isn't, can I Google what someone already else knows? It's, this is interesting. How do yeah. I take it apart and be curious? That's one way to do it. I didn't I do know. it that way. I gave an example of how... I encountered a problem and systematically figured out using like just trial and error and through only changing one variable at a time, figured out what was mm-hmm. wrong with the specific machine, um, which he liked as an answer. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it depends. But I thought of an even better answer, which I forget now, uh, to that question later. It's not the later. worst when you leave an interview yeah. and you're like, that would have killed it. I think the worst situation I've been in like that is when I d- did a test and I could not figure out one part of the problem. And then on the walk home, I figured it out perfectly oh. in my head. Sad. <laughs> Sad. I think the most humorous question I got recently in an interview was, why did you leave your last job? Which I liked because I've never really technically, like, quit or been fired from a job, so... Nice humble brag. <laughs> well, no, it, I mean, situationally, I just keep the jobs I have in some capacity. Yeah. Or say, maybe I'll come back in the future. But it was sort of interesting because I can just picture someone... It starts at a sort of a negative thing, like, why do you leave? And it, someone might be able to spin it and say, you know... Yeah. Like, I moved up, or... I, I realized that it wasn't helping me grow in any way, so I moved on to something but it, new. But they want you to say, like, oh, I left because, like, or I quit. But or they're not going to get know. that. I don't know why they, if, if they expect I don't that. know. Was, I made me pause, and then I was like, oh, wait. Okay, are there any others, or were those yes. the six, five? Oh, those are the five, but there's another <laughs> set of random observations. These are all for interviews, so I'm going to ask you if you do these. Okay. As sort of a question and answer. Cool. Do you always wear a jacket? This was a. This was the first thing I don't she said the to a room of girls who were. Ne- ne- I think maybe two people. Like a. Do you mean like a, like bla- a suit jacket? Like a suit jacket. No. This I don't either. I don't think I've ever shut up to an interview in a jacket. I feel like it depends on what, like, like a lot of what I'm yeah. applying to are startups, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not. I need to stop saying I'm sorry. I don't wear a jacket because it doesn't fit with the job, right? If it fit with the job, I might wear. I, I've worn a suit to an interview before. Um, to be formal. Um, I don't know. I'm tempted to buy a jacket. I think you look cute in a jacket. Because you can dress it down, but I think it sets you aside. I mean, I'm still in college. How many college, like, people own a blazer? Maybe more than I think. Probably a lot at my school, actually. They yeah. don't wear them. East Coast so. jackets are common. Anyway. Anyway, that's interesting. What's next? Do you always have two questions at the end? Yes. In fact, it's better to have more than two. I'm I'm did not do this at an interview so, recently. I was like, no, I think I'm th- fine. This is how I like to explain this one. At the end of the interview, they will always ask you, always. do you have any other questions? And most people will say no. That is the wrong answer. That question has a right answer, and there's one right answer, and it's yes, and then you ask really Okay, what and type you don't, of question? they don't even have to be good questions. <laughs> The pro- they just but have to be, questions to be good questions. Because if you say no, it's telling them I'm not interested or serious about this job. So And you may be like, but I seriously don't have any questions. Think of some. It's that simple. So what type of question? So I ask questions about like how their system works in terms of um, like organizationally, because I care about that. Ask questions about what you care about, right? Um, so a lot of people care about like benefits, right? A lot of people care about but- um Okay, be- benefits maybe back. a little bit. I'm gonna push back. Okay, on that. push back. So, I always the times I err to not ask questions is I've researched this job very well online and I know the answer. And the tip that she gave was research like way further back than that. Like look at a news story from a year ago and say, oh, you have a new president. How does that affect? Or how has that changed? What's happened? Versus saying. I mean, I can probably find how much the job's going to pay online. Yeah, no, th- no, that's fair. I don't know. And you don't want to ask super obvious questions that you could find with one Google search. That's just wasting their time. And mm-hmm. I agree with you in there, right? Um, I still think it's better than saying no to, like, do you have any other questions? <laughs> but maybe only slightly better. Um, but what's really good is, like, like what I care about a lot is the, uh, the mission of the company, the why, the, um, the, their, what they're trying to do that matters in the world and so I ask questions about that um I ask questions about the team because I think that's a huge I was important gonna say, dynamic the question I always ask is sort of about the makeup and the dynamics of who I'd be working with yeah. because that matters a lot who, to me at least who I'm working I with. I like culture a lot so I ask questions about the company culture I say hey what do you guys do after work like do you go all hang out because like that's the really fun part of the job when you've True. had a bad day or you've had a great day and you go with all your co-workers to the bar across the street and you like that's Drink. why like, that's... I will never leave some of my jobs because I can still go to the fun things when I'm in town. Why would I, like, cut the bridge and totally yeah. sign off? Um, so, like, those are the kinds of questions that I ask. And, like, every 
most companies have this, but if you, if they say, oh, we don't do that or, oh, like I never talk to my coworkers outside of work. Uh, that's a big red flag. <laughs> Almost had fucking flag. But that's, that's a bad. That's a okay. Are you ready one. for more questions? Um, and no. normally there's not going to be a lot of time in an interview to ask questions. You have to make time for it though. But well, that's the other thing is if they ask you, they're kind of giving you more time. And if you say yeah. nope, bye. Anyway. Um, know. and if you have several interviews, like I once had a huge multi-stage interview, I like broke up in my, my questions to asking different people and the questions were targeted at what their position was. And I was able to just find their position on LinkedIn, right? So for example, the big boss, I had more technical questions about the mission and about how he works as a manager, right? But for some of the others, I had more fun questions like, what do you guys do yeah, after work? What What's the culture like? Cause you get better answers from non, not the bosses on those types of questions, right? Mm-hmm. That's, okay, that's so this, I'm just gonna ask this. What do you take with you to an interview? Wait, that, you have an um, interview tomorrow down the street. What are you packing? That sounded bad. Like, what are you? <laughs> I usually take like a um, a pad like that I can write on that also has my questions on, and then it also uh, and who's interviewing me, so I know their names and any information about them that I think is relevant um, from research beforehand. And then I also usually bring my resumes. Yeah, that's it. But one of the tips, and again, I'm literally just stealing all these these tips that I got, was you could write down your questions and your key messages in pencil, and that way they don't read them. They can't read them, but then bring a pen. Do you write, you write everything in pencil. I don't pencil. understand. So I write everything in pen. Never. Yeah. I never think to write in pencil. But if I have all of my questions for them pre-written in pen and all my key messages of things I don't want to forget, they're going to see that. But if you write them in pencil... Why won't they see them if they're in pencil? Because pencil's lighter. No one can read pencil from across the table. Oh, I, I misunderstood that because that's what, I that's push so key. hard with pencil, it looks about the same but as pen. But if you like light, you know I what I mean? Guess, I guess I what you're know. saying. So actually in my most recent interview, I, I did that. I had like pencil for the, I think I had pencil for the questions and pen for the answers. It might've been vice versa, but it was just a so, note. So I knew what was pen, what mm-hmm. was answers and what was questions. That's good. But it wasn't for the reason you talked right, about. You just answered the next question, which is, do you take notes in the interview? Yeah, and so sometimes why? they're asking you questions. How about why? Why do you, would you take notes? Well, I take notes answering the questions that I ask. Okay, they're um, answers. And then sometimes I take notes if I learn something that I think is pertinent. Or if I come up with a question that I think I think of. Yeah. I was in a meeting, or I was in a interview, and it was pretty awkward because she said, do you mind if I take notes? And she was handwriting some of my answers across the table for me, and I was sitting there and waiting for like... Oh, where, when you could have been writing Her, something? Because I didn't bring anything to take notes with. And I, so I should have been jotting down, like, so part of it. Um, so she says you should bring. Part of the tip is it simulates what being in a meeting with them would be like. And they're, you're taking notes, you're caring, yeah. versus you're in a meeting with me and I'm sitting there not doing anything. Okay. Uh, have I talked, I know I've talked to this with you about this. I don't know if it's been on the podcast, but if you're writing, if you're on your computer at a meeting and you're like taking notes, it's rude. If you're on your phone, it's even ruder, even if you are taking notes for the meeting. (laughs) But if you have a notebook and you aren't taking notes of the meeting and are just doodling, people think you're taking notes of the meeting and they think you're really listening hard. So if you have a pen in your hand and you're taking notes, like even if you're not actually taking notes for the meeting, people think you're listening harder than if you weren't taking notes which is harder than on if your you computer, uh-huh. which is harder than phone. So phone's the worst, then laptop, then just like being there and listening. That's good, especially if you're making eye contact. But if you're writing in a notebook, it's like you're listening to every single word super intently. That's the message it gets across. I was recently in this awkward meeting where I walked in a little late and they weren't sure why I was there. And they thought I might be the press. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, it was fine. And, um... I was so noisy for me to take out my notepad and find a pen that I started taking notes on my phone, which I never do, and I felt kind of bad about it, but in that case, I really think the cost benefit analysis of trying to dig a pen out would have been bad. But anyway, I should, you should have been have prepared. You should have the pen and pad ready. I was, it, was a, it was a wild time. Okay, what else? Do you practice in the mirror before an interview? No, <laughs> I should do, do that this. more. Do you test your Wi-Fi I'm, if you're about to Skype? <laughs> I'm way more... Uh, <laughs> Actually, I do have something on that in a sec. I'm way more, uh, like, free in terms of, like, I like to wing things, which is not always the best scenario. Even for, like, speeches, I'm really bad at that. Um, you, it, wait, it may, you've, you, 
What is the past tense? You've winged speeches. Well, I was about to say you you've won. Which speeches I've have you won? I've won speeches. Ah. I've won them so hard. So tired. <laughs> no, the uh, what, what's another way to say winged it? Like just went in and did Improvise. it. No, improvise. I've improvised speeches. Okay, I was gonna say it sounds like a lot, but so normally what I do, I, I don't know. I remember in high school I had to give a speech for like something for the school and. I just thought about it a lot on my walk over to on my walk to school and like kind of thought in my mind what I would say. And then when I got there, instead of just burying my face inside a piece of paper and not looking at the audience, I looked at the audience and just said, and like, I knew the topic really well. And if you know the topic really well, I feel like you can do it. I think that's part of it. And especially in an interview, the topic is yourself and your experiences. I think writing down your answers. And you'll notice when you do the speech, like you don't end up doing exactly what like you plan to, mm-hmm. but it's usually the stuff you planned or the stuff you want to say, it's just in weird order, right? Because it's what you think of on the time. Yeah, I've done that a lot. It's I'm, It means I'm good at it, but it also, like if I had to do something super professional for like, yeah, you probably should I would practice, I would, pr- <sighs> or would you? <laughs> so I just read this book called The Naked Presenter and it talks about this, the oh public speaking and, and it's, so the way I've always done speaking is I've either written a speech and then like looked at it and read over it in front of people, or I've winged it and thought about it a little bit beforehand, but not a lot. So I was in this class doing speeches and they had us read this book. And then what this book says, um, which is contrary to what you hear a lot of other speakers say and what other speakers say is what you're saying. Practice in the mirror, know it super well, know it so well that if everything hits if all the shit hits the fan, yeah. you're still able to give it. Um, know it so well that like you've memorized it, and you like even if you're not confident, it'll appear you're confident because you know it so well, mm-hmm. right? Which is another thing you talked about, and that way you can interact with the audience and kind of pick up cues because you just know it so well. And that's one school of thought. What this book said, and what I ended up doing for this thing is, it says know your topic super well, right? And kind of a sense of where you're gonna go with your topic with like. Not just bullet points, but like main ideas, right? And then you just know the topic so well, you can go from string from idea to idea to idea and use the slides you have and don't look at your slides, but know what they are that you can like say the speech. And if you gave the speech 10 times, they'd all be different in terms of what you said, but Mm -hmm. like the whole picture would look the same, right? It was just like how you did it would be different and I th- as opposed to memorizing something so insanely well mm-hmm. and that you don't need to be confident, which is another way to do it. Um, I remember this. I was a really good writer when I was younger, not as much a speaker. And so I would write a really good speech and then I would go to give it. And the transition from it's written, printed out and you need to memorize it was really hard because the key I think to memorizing things is you memorize the ideas and the points and not the wording and yeah. the sentences, but it was so beautifully written that I would love to just yeah. stand up. But something that I'm really happy my high school did was every year you had a speech competition and the best from each class would compete against each other. And then, and even though the same person won for my school every year and I could never defeat him, it Wait, was this competitive. One year I made it to the part where I could compete against him and the next year he was in my class. So he won right away, right. which is tragic. But it was to- it was a great experience for me to really have a reason to be competitive about speaking. But I ended up, my speech I think the last year was ideas. And I don't think I ever fully wrote out the beautifully written version. Right, because it was more bulleted. Because I learned a speech should change, the wording shouldn't be the same every time you give it. Unless you have a teleprompter and... And, and what I've that's... learned is that's when you actually come up with the really inspirational things. Like when... Like, you can come up with something you've never thought of before, like playing off something in the audience or doing other things. So I think that's important. What were we talking about before speeches? If you practice out loud in the mirror. Yeah, so I don't, but I should more. Okay, and then I'm going to... Let's see how I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask you a question that this woman got. And, um... Okay. Yeah. And I liked a lot of her answers, but I also kind of was laughing because this is not a question I would ever ask, and I don't know that you would ever ask. Someone said, what's your advice for moving to a new city after graduation and, like... Okay, sorry, I I was still thinking about the previous topic and thought of something else to say real quick. Okay, you can say it, Um, The... (laughs) So... One thing I do do, I don't practice in the mirror, but I do practice, like, in my head, like... Uh, 
out loud. So like I'll find an empty room and I'll practice my speech without looking at my notes, right? But in your and, head. And, and if I mess up, I'll look at my notes and like figure it out, right? And then I'll do it repetitively until I got it. Um, I'm a really fidgeter and like move around. And when I'm in that space, like I don't see anything. It's all in my head. Like it's all like trying to figure out what to say. And like if I try to remember what I saw for the past five minutes, like I wouldn't I remember. I feel like it's like a blackout, but like yeah. a semi version. It's like a, it's like, have you ever, a good analogy if you have no, if you feel like I don't understand, Sebi must like be an movie. alien, is a good analogy. A movie's kind of like it. It's more like, have you ever had a daydream, right, where you think of a scenario? No, where I black out. <laughs> really? We're, and I don't mean black out, like black out. I, no, I, I mean like. Like this, you just completely like. Like lose where you are. Lose, lose where you are, and your your brain is completely imagining and visualizing a new place that you're interacting in, mm-hmm. and so you're not, you're still receiving visual data. You could be walking across a street and still look both ways, right? But in your mind, you can't remember it. Like it's a blackout in yeah. that regard. You, yeah, you can't. That happens. That happens sometimes where I'm at lectures and I'll get really deep into a thought that's different in my head, and then. I realized that I didn't hear the last three sentences, yeah. even though I was yeah. in the room. So, obviously, so, 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 so still for me, it's usually that. like last three that. minutes. Yeah, I try to. I mean, so that's actually a question on this same tangent. How much in daily life? It's not professional. I'm done with the professional stuff. I do bit. in the shower a lot. How too. much in daily life simple. do you practice conversations that are not like not an interview or a speech, but like like future conversations I'm gonna like, have? <laughs> <laughs> not a lot. That's because like, I don't interview. I mean, I hear. Yeah. Like, for, what's a good example? Like future conversations with who? Like with friends? With what? Yeah. So if something is bothering me, I am not gonna bring it up immediately. It will be brought up after I have thought forty different times about. Okay, yeah, no, the I best do, way to phrase. I do that. How to bring it up? Although, and the best time and the best pl- like. Okay, I I do more like I I try to figure out what they're gonna say. That's I do more of that than try to figure out what I'm gonna say. I'm but trying then to figure you out change what you're and, gonna... and it's more like I figure out what if I say this, how are they gonna react? And I think of ten ways they okay, it's usually not ten, like five ways they could react, right? And then I'm like, which one of those is more likely? And usually I only come up with two or three and then I end up being wrong because I haven't thought about enough different stuff. But scenarios. I feel like then I try to but, change what I'm gonna say. Yeah, and, yeah. and I do the same thing, but it's not like I'm trying to figure out the perfect time, place and message like my message just got to be good enough it doesn't have to be perfect it's more about the action or the um the message behind the message that like the motivation behind the message so it's me, way more about the motivation than it is about the specific wording does that make I sense feel like i should give an example but i don't know what's a good example but so something is if i'm frustrated by something i want to c- c- tell someone i'm frustrated without also like starting a fight Usually my that method is like, I want them to know this and I want, maybe here's some advice on how to, like, I don't want this to keep happening that I'm frustrated, but I don't, instead, I, I try not to frame things that it's like blame or whatnot. I and that's I'm, when I'm always yeah. worried in the moment when someone says something, I don't want to frustrate and lash out. I want to, but I don't want to not say anything. And that's why I over-prepare and sometimes wait too long. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I'm not one of them because usually I'm like... I'm usually not that frustrated because, like, people are going to do what people are going to do. Yeah. I know that's a weird way to look at it, well, but that's how I look at it. I think, to me, I tend to get frustrated, like, really upset about things when they happen multiple times. Oh, like, people like don't first, learn from their the mistakes? First, not even a mistake. Okay, uh, oh, people don't learn from previous situations? No. So, like, mom would say, I'm trying to give an example that's not, like, super weird. It's okay um, if it's weird. It's better than nothing. Pick on mom. Okay. Pick mom, on mom. Last summer. They're not listening. Would make... Oh my God, I'm trying to think of what comment it was. Okay, I'll, I'll talk It got to the point I'll, where they were like, this comment was happening almost every day. And you it don't want to say what the comment is? I'm trying to remember. Oh, okay, here, I'll talk while you, <laughs> while you try to remember. So one thing, and we, we this actually came up in episode three, but you guys didn't hear that, um, which Sad. was Operation Mom and oh. Pop. Which is, we want to make sure our parents don't listen to the podcast. Wait, this is so funny. What? When Sebi said, when we were playing this podcast, Sebi goes, well, we can't let mom and dad know. And so he was we like... We both agreed on that. Yeah, but the way you reminded me was, we can't, we've got to make it so they will call them by different names. 
And I said, like, mom and dad, because that doesn't call them out. Yeah. So we just call them mom <laughs> and dad. Which me out. But the idea is, obviously, they'll eventually find out about it. But as our listeners, you, you know. have to make sure that you are part of Operation Mom and Pop. <laughs> and being part of Operation Mom and Pop means you, if you know us personally, you never tell our parents about the podcast, ever. It is taboo, off-subject <laughs> limit. And if you aren't good at keeping secrets, I'm sorry, you're part of Operation Mom and Pop for this scenario and we know they'll probably eventually find out especially if we do like like over 100 episodes but for as long as possible it can be like a time capsule for them and they can come back and live vicariously through us in the future when they find out in the very distant future so for now we can talk about them without them knowing yeah okay so i thought of an example okay good i think it was dad um was making comments about the diet that i was pursuing and by diet i mean medically suggested diet and by the fourth or fifth time I had an answer ready so after dinner when I was saying oh something or another and his response was what did you eat or whatnot my response was ready which was framed like it really bothers me when you say x and the first time I don't think I it wasn't, yeah. So I, I think I give myself a hard time because sometimes it takes me a while to bring up something I'm frustrated about. But I also right. think it takes a while for me to get upset. And it is repeated things. And by then, I can come back with a, hey, do you know the past four times you've said something about this? And maybe that's upsetting to me or we should talk about that. Yeah. I don't remember where this started. Oh, rehearsing it's, things in your I head. I think that's a good way to do it. I, I'm definitely more pacifist in the fact that I don't like bringing up things that annoy me. I'm conflict averse and I need to get better at that. Um, and one way to do that is like saying, Hey, it annoys me when you do this. Cause you're right. There are totally things or like my parents do that annoy the heck out of me. And sometimes it, usually it's like for simple things, it's pretty obvious that they push my buttons in certain ways and they don't mean to, they just, Oh, they just really do. Um, but there are other things that I think I could be a little bit more clear on. But there's all, yeah. And, and and I could steer into the conflict. I'm going to be so clear. Um, I'm not going to give more any details, but there's a leader in my life. And the next time there's something that is upsetting to me, I know exactly what I'm going to say. You'll have to tell me after the podcast. Yeah. Anyway. I think I know who it is. I'm trying to, because th- it's kind of like the first couple of times. But at, there's a point where you already know what to say, and that's when it should be addressed, maybe. Okay, so, ask the question again. Oh my goodness, I'm going to start It had to do time. with moving, that's all look. I remember. So someone asked, kind of as a career, this woman's moved multiple times to her career, what's advice for graduating college or not and moving to a new place? What's advice? Like advice you would give someone who's like, oh my god, I'm Oh, I have somewhere. a good one. I've had to Go. tell myself this one. Actually, I figured out this one about myself recently. Ready for it? Go. It's one word, but I'll have like a little... <laughs> okay. Believe... I know that sounds like a funny cat poster, but it's true. And what I mean by that is, like, people... (laughs) This sounds really bad. It's a Lego movie You need to believe... Yeah, Lego movie one reference. Uh, It's just so true. Watch it. (laughs) So, so many people, like, let's say they leave college and they have a... They have... They want a specific job, but they either get a different job or they haven't found a job yet, right? Mm -hmm. Um... I'd say believe that you can get that job that you don't think you're qualified for. Believe that you think you can live in a new city. Believe that you um, are like capable enough to like reach the stars and attain your dreams. And that's like the big thing. Believe that you can accomplish your dreams. Because if you don't believe you can accomplish your dreams, you know what happens? You don't. And that's a sucky life, right? I know that's super simple, but... Like, just believe, and that belief, like, it doesn't have to be rational, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be right. You don't even have to, like, physically, you can fake it, like, fake, Mm. you just gotta, like, believe you can do it, because if you don't believe you can do it, like, you've already lost, you've you've just already lost. That's the way I look at it. Wait, wait, I have a quote from another session about this, that gets into things we were talking about the other day. This is sort of different, but someone told this guy... It's okay to think you can't do it, but that doesn't mean you're right. Which is the opposite, but I, I do kind of, I don't know, I kind of like it. Are we still recording? Yeah, believe oh, you can accomplish your dreams. That's what I wrote down can. to myself. Okay, that's good advice. 
not necessarily what did she say? moving. So she said, you have less to lose when you're right out of college than later in life. Oh, that's true, So too. if you lose... That's another reason just to believe. Just move back in with your parents anyway. Like, yeah, what that's you... what I did. Like, I'm not, um, ash- And I'm not ashamed of that because I believe I can get to where I want. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it takes me till a year. And I keep saying this to people, but like, it shows yeah, the commitment, the confidence behind the belief. If you don't have confidence behind the belief, then you're not going to accomplish something accomplish what like you're not going to get to that place where you have a job that you love um and i'm definitely for like getting a job you love because you're going to be working okay for the rest how of your about life. this then this is what i would say to that based on the notes i took from someone else you can always change your career it's not final and it's your choice yeah and especially Which is kind of cool it kind of made me feel excited like I get to just choose what I'm going to do. But so many people, like, get caught in their career and they're like, oh, I have a mortgage. I have a family. Like, I'm not going to be... Especially now. Just believe you can change it. Or better yet, just, like, believe you're going to get something better and figure out strategies to do so. Okay, and here's my last piece of advice that I stole to give to you, which is visit where you're going first so you can visualize what your life will look like Oh, my gosh. I love this one so much. I went... Like, I toured so many colleges before I picked, and I applied to some I hadn't been to, and I'm very happy that I could see in my head myself walking around before I went there. Yeah. And then I felt better when I was there. So I want to bring this more to the job situation because that's what we've been talking about this Mm -hmm. whole episode. But I agree with this one wholeheartedly. I think every job I've ever had, I have visited beforehand to see what it was like. Okay, that's not 100% true, but every, like, real job. That sounds really bad now. Um, Most I, of the... Yeah, I have, I have definitely beforehand, like, seen. And I think the way that works is, like, you need to see yourself there, right? And you need to prototype it. That's the word I like to use because I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. Like, you talk about using the language of the profession mm-hmm. you're that going to. Sense. In engineering, this would be called prototyping, right? You're prototyping, hey, can I see myself here? Hey, can I work here? I even think you should work there two weeks and say, hey, does this work? And then, like, leave if it doesn't. Um, Unfortunately, our whole system is not set up for that, but that's a different problem. There's internships, which are over the summer, which I think are great. I think that's a great way to prototype for a job. But most jobs, like, you go there and you interview and then you get hired and they expect you to stay there for more than a year, Right? And it's like, but what if, like, like, what if you hate it there and they hate you there and like you, or maybe they don't hate you there. They love you there, but because you hated it, it rubs off on your work. That makes like, yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you were like there only four months and then like, we're like, oh, sorry, I guess this doesn't work because you're not going to know beforehand through an interview. You can ask good questions and get a sense and get closer, which you should do. But in terms of the interview, it's harder. Okay, one last thing. And this is a question that could lead us to a whole rabbit hole, but I'm going to make you say in one word. Maybe it'll lead us to the next episode. She said, you can get used to moving. Do you think that is true? As we've moved four, five, four? Yeah. You think you can get used to it? I thought I'm used to it. Why do you think I I want to... I don't know. That's why I want to move again, because I feel like... You're like, like, I'm used to it. It's going to be fun. No, I feel anchored. I feel like restricted... Staying in Colorado for this long, even though I've only been here five years, like that's a lot because that's a long time. in Indiana we were there for oh. three. Montreal was six. Oh no! So now we're and used to we're not used to not moving. I'm used to moving, <laughs> and I'm used to like more importantly, I'm used to my whole world getting completely displaced every now and again. And I feel like I feel kind of trapped because that hasn't happened in a while. I'm not gonna lie. Hmm. I'm and, gonna say you can get used to it, which I wouldn't have said two years ago. And for for the record, how many times have you like like your life's completely changed? That's one, like two, three, four. Whether that's a move five, or not, okay. Six, and I'm one, maybe five or six, two. Like complete, like nothing looks the same. The language yeah. is different. And you don't speak the language. One, two, three. Okay, we're really four. running out of time. We have to summarize the episode. All right, okay, but we have go. literally thirty seconds in this episode. We talked about some advice that I got on business interviews and some tangents. More generally, I'm really freaking out about the time you go. Okay. <laughs> wow. You can't focus. So, should I just pause to make you freak out? Oh don't. Yeah. You have um, 30 seconds. In case you don't know, we can only record for an off. hour. Okay, I got 30 seconds. Um, so, we talk, you mainly talked about the things you learned at this conference mm-hmm. and interviewed me and kind of used me as a juxtaposition to what you learned and what the main speaker used 
as answers to several questions, mostly geared around the idea of interviews and interviewing for a position at a company. That was much more eloquent. Thank you. But that's your, your time constraint. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.